And our first date, this what was so unique. Our first date was um, my grandmother had died, so we went to the wake. We went to that the, was our of, first date. Yeah, yeah. She went with me. Hey, hey, that's how you find out. She's real. You go with me, my family. You love me. I love her song on my heart. I write songs and they touch her heart. Ready, go. Wounds in my heart. Done. Okay, we're done. One of my favorite things that Andy does is uh, dance. Don't start that dun to dun. Don't start that dun to dun. So that's something that we kind of bonded. It's never been on. I can always be myself with her. She's not judging. I can dance horribly and she'll still love me. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. What? <laughs> if uh, I go to dinner with my wife and I don't have my teas in, <laughs> years, ago, years ago that would have bothered me. Today it doesn't bother me a bit. To describe her is... Uh, Are you going to cry? I don't think I'm going to cry, but... Uh, we can make trying to show somebody that we love them really difficult when it's just really simple. And she just tells me she loves me. If I'm doing something wrong, she's going to call me out on it. She doesn't just smile and say, oh, great, Kimber, and then talk yeah. to other people about it and say, wow, I don't think that she should be doing that. People look at the big things, and really it's more about the small things. I think that keep people together. Just little things that just get you and can get couples in such a, a tight moment. The vinegar represented those. But then it came with the honey. And when you taste that honey, after tasting that vinegar, wow, the vinegar taste is gone. You kind of can think back to that and just says, but the honey, our love, will outstand all those bitter moments. The selflessness has taught me to care for others in another capacity that I haven't really experienced yet. I want to live my life more like that. Don't have the spats or anything that you might think of when you're younger. She really makes it a point to like have Christ's love show through her no matter where she is. I don't think I really honed in on that until I became friends with Kimber. I've been learning things that uh, about myself and about her and just kind of getting a chance to share your life with someone else is pretty awesome. We've been married 53 years. Uh, when we first got married, you think you're in love. I would, I would say that after 53 years, I'm more in love with her now than I was then. That's how I feel about her. Love? Yes. I do love you. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. So, how do you love? What are the ways that you typically show love to other people? Over this next few days, the grocery stores all over Ore Valley are going to be overrun by us. As we go through there and we pick through the roses and the teddy bears and the candy and the Hallmark cards, trying to find that perfect way to express love to those that we love the most, right? 
We'll spend millions of dollars on other people as Americans trying to find a way for just this week to make sure that we express to those we love how much we love them. Studies show that most of us, we only show love to other people in two or three different ways throughout our lives. Yet there are so many other ways that we can express love to the people who are around us. And there was an author who many years ago wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Five different ways we can express love to others, right? Yet, as we read the pages of the Bible, we find there are way more ways that we can express love to people than just those five. So, what are they? Well, as we, read, as we go through this series called Love Expressed, we're going to be learning as we read through the Psalm of Solomon and the Psalms and Proverbs, all these different books of the Old Testament, all these different ways that God expresses love to us and that God expresses love through us to other people. Last week, uh, Jim Heddles talked to us, with us about the 2-2-2 idea, and I just want to keep, have you keep that in the forefront of your minds uh, through this week. Take two, uh, two times a day, 2 to 20 minutes, and as you read the Scriptures, and ask yourself a couple of questions. Like, how do I see God expressing His love to me through this Scripture? How do I see God expressing His love through me. Now, through this series, I could just stand up here and do all the talking, like I normally do. But th- through this series, I particularly want to have other people's voices as well. I want some of you to be sharing how you're learning, how you're growing through this experience as you're taking a few minutes each day to read the Word and just have you kind of start off our time in the Word each uh, week. So this morning, I'd like to ask Rick Dross to come up here and share with us a little bit about what he's been learning over this last week. Hi. Uh, My name is Rick. I've been here for about six years, and I'm involved with the youth ministry, The Blender, uh, and it's a great ministry. I love working with youth, but I also love uh, drama, and so I'm in charge of the drama teams here. And so if you are interested in drama, as uh, Sue explained, you can go to the tab on uh, mygrace.church and sign up for drama. We'd love to have you be a part of what's going on here at, at Grace. This week, I read uh, Psalm 22, and I was impressed by that psalm. I've always been impressed by that psalm um, because it starts off with iconic words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, as I read that, I think of Jesus on the cross. And I really think that Christ, when he was up on the cross, he quoted this whole psalm in his head. He just went through this whole psalm because I see Christ on the cross suffering for me and yet allowing the emotion and the frustration that he was feeling pour out to God without fear of disappointing his father at all. He did not think, oh, I better not say that because God's going to call me a crybaby, you know, he, he poured out his emotion, as you read in, in this psalm, all the pain and anguish that he was feeling as he was up on that cross. And he said, God, you've forsaken me. And the reason he could do that is because his father loved him, cared about him. And that encourages me. That demonstrates to me that God loves me. And when I go through tough times, when I'm going through tribulations, I can cry out to God 
And I can tell him how I really feel about the situation. And I know that he loves me. And he cares for me. And he's going to deal with it in his way, not my way. (laughs) In his way, he's going to deal with it and he's going to make it good. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God loves us even when we're going through tough times. And Psalm 22 starts with those tough times, but then it goes on to some great times. Verse 22 says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. And then goes on to talk about all the things that the author of the psalm is going to do in praising God. And I believe Christ was doing that on the cross as well. And it ends with those, that wonderful verse. All those people who get saved by God are going to be proclaiming his righteousness to people yet unborn. That's me. When the psalmist wrote this, I was not born yet. Believe it or not, youth, I'm not that old. Um, and all of God's righteousness was proclaimed to me by others who understood God's gracious love for them. And then the last phrase just knocks me over because the last phrase of the psalm is, for he has done it. And that reminds me of what Jesus said at the end when he was on the cross. It is finished. God loves us. So I challenge you when you go through those tough times in life, and we all have them, remember you can tell, exactly, you can tell God exactly how you feel. And he still loves you. He cares for you. He's listening. I am not much of a TV watcher these last few years. There's not a whole lot that I like to invest my time into. But there is one show, and I mentioned this in one sermon not too long ago, that just has always captivated me. I've enjoyed watching. And it's a show called This Is Us. Do you, have you ever watched that show, any of you? Uh, a few of you. Most, more, a lot more people in first service raised their hands to this one. It's a really interesting show. I encourage you to watch it if you haven't before. Now, the last episode that they showed on the air was almost three weeks ago. It was the first half of this real cliffhanger. Uh, it was actually preempted last week, which is when we were supposed to see the second half, because the President of the United States wanted to make a State of the Union address or something. Like, priorities. Do you not check the NBC schedule before you make these decisions, right? But anyway, the shocking news that came out in this uh, first, uh, this first half of this cliffhanger was that this guy who is the dad figure in this show, this guy named Jack, this guy who is always loving other people, sacrificially giving himself to others, uh, the same guy who ran into a house to, to rescue his family and even rescue the family dog and died in the process, that guy had another side to him. Now, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen what you know the the this that show I'm talking about too bad you've had three weeks to watch it so you just got to run out of the room like Tracy or you can just listen to the, I, I've tried not to give away too much of it here <laughs> so Jack had told his wife Nikki and their kids 
that he had a brother who had died in Vietnam. I mean, this is the storyline over the last couple of years of this series. And um, that uh, he had died, you know, he had told the family that his brother had died in Vietnam. Well, time has passed, and now these three kids have grown up. And one of these kids was so interested in finding out what happened to his dad in Vietnam that he actually decided to travel to Vietnam to find out more information because dad never talked about the Vietnam experience. Every time it was brought up, he shut it down. So he travels to Vietnam and he finds out that this brother that dad said died there, didn't die there, that he had returned home and that he was actually living just a couple hours away from the family all these years. Nikki, with the brother's name, had been drafted into Vietnam. And so when he was drafted, his brother, Jack, the the protective older brother, the loving brother, decided to go with him to Vietnam to make sure he stayed okay. And as Nicky was there after a period of time, Nicky fell into a very, very deep depression. He fell into addiction. And he had this deep-seated bitterness toward Vietnamese people. He just hated them. And it all kind of culminated in this one episode, you know, just a few weeks ago when um, this brother, Nicky, actually was hanging out with this Vietnamese boy, and it was, they were just actually playing around, horsing around, and he accidentally killed this boy with a grenade that he had. And everyone around Nicky thought he did that maliciously because he hates Vietnamese people, including his brother. They thought they could just consider Nicky mentally ill. They shipped him back to the United States, but not before Brother Jack looks at Nicky in the eyes and he says, I never want to see your face again. Years later, after the war is over, Jack starts receiving postcards in the mail at work from his brother, asking to see him. He takes them, he tosses them into his desk. The final straw is when he find, Nicky finds out Jack's home address and starts mailing him postcards there. And then he, Jack's concerned his family's going to find out. So Jack thinks, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to tell my brother once and for all to butt out of my life. And when he arrives, Nicky, with everything in him, wants to tell Jack what's really going on and what really happened all those years ago, but his brother refuses to listen. All of Jack's life, he has been a model of love to everyone around him. Yet the one person who needed love the most, his brother, he refuses to even try to show mercy. To him. Jack's story is a powerful reminder that love isn't just about roses and Hallmark cards. It's not just about gifts and words and acts of service toward those that we love. Sometimes the hardest and the greatest acts of love are when mercy is needed. You know, when you think of the times that you've been hurt the most... What's been your response? When someone does something to you that just seems unforgivable, when someone betrays you, when someone destroys your reputation, when someone hurts your kids, when you're hated, when you're attacked, when you're ripped off, when you're violated, our first response isn't to show mercy, right? That's usually the last thing we're thinking about. In those times, it's hard enough to just not seek revenge, right? But to forgive someone in those moments, 
to show mercy, undeserved love to them? I mean, that can feel impossible, right? It can feel totally out of the question. And this is why mercy, I believe, is the hardest way possible to express love. Mercy, I don't think there's a harder way to express love than in moments where mercy is required. Yet for those of us who have ever been on the receiving end of mercy, we know how life-changing that can be, right? When we don't deserve forgiveness and someone gives it to us anyway, those are the, that's the stuff that can change a life. This morning, I would like for one phrase to get stuck into your head and get stuck so well that years from now, every time an opportunity like this arises, that God in His Spirit would just speak that phrase back into your head once again. This is that phrase. God's love is the loudest in moments of mercy. God's love is loud into your life and mine in moments of mercy. So, what is mercy exactly? Mercy isn't compassion, and it's certainly more than forgiveness. Mercy is when you have the ability to hurt someone, to punish them, to make them pay for what they have done to you or to those that you love, and you choose to do the opposite instead. Even if you're still living in the pain yourself. Compassion is a feeling. Compassion is to, means to suffer with someone. Mercy isn't that. Mercy isn't a feeling. Mercy is an action. Mercy goes way beyond compassion because it's in those moments acting on that compassion to do something that someone totally doesn't deserve. It's an, actually an expression of love and it's something as Christ followers that God expects of us. Why? Because that's how he treats us every single day of our lives. In this series called Love Expressed, we're reading through several different books in the the Old Testament, including one that you're going to be looking at this week known as the Book of Lamentations. I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3 for a moment. It's just after Isaiah and Jeremiah. Or if you go to MyGrace.Church, it's the card right after the Hello card. So just click on that and you'll actually see the scriptures there this morning. Um, Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a really painful book to read. To lament means to actually cry out. And Lamentations actually tells the story of God's people when they were slaughtered and when those who were left were drug across a desert in chains by an evil invading army. God warned his people through the prophet Jeremiah and many others to stop their rebellious, sinful behavior. We see it through the prophetic writings. But God's people just basically thumbed their nose at God and said, No, God, we're not interested. The Babylonians came then, just as God predicted. And as the Babylonians came, what the Israelites could have done was just said, Okay, God told us this was going to happen. We saw this coming. Why don't we surrender and just allow them to do what they're going to do? But they even thumbed their noses at the Babylonians. And they said, You can't get to us. And so they locked the gates of of Jerusalem. And they held held off the Babylonians for over a year. Sitting behind the walls of that city. Finally, after over a year, the Babylonians are able to bust through the walls of Jerusalem. And when they get through those walls... 
They are so angry, they show no mercy at all. They destroy everyone and everything they can find in their path. Now, this book of Lamentations is a collection of five laments over five chapters. But what you're going to notice is, is when you look at it, when you read through it, is in the very middle chapter, in the very middle section of that middle chapter, in chapter 3, there's this interesting twist. Jeremiah's been pouring out his heart to God and lamenting of all these horrible things that are happening. But then right in the very middle of that book, of that chapter, is when he changes. Jeremiah knows that despite how rebellious his people has been and the judgment that is deserved, that God never changes. God never changes. And mercy is God's megaphone of love. He uses it all the time. Let's look at Lamentations 3, starting in verse 17. I'm just going to pick up a few of the verses of lament that he shares before we see the change. Lamentations 3.17, Jeremiah writes, Peace has been stripped away, and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thoughts of my suffering and homelessness is, be, is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time, he says, as I grieve my loss. But then notice verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Jeremiah, in these passages, he's crying out to God and he's like saying, there's nothing left. Nothing. There's nothing left to even live for at this moment. He says, this is so bad, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. But yet, notice in verse 21, he says, yet I still dare to hope. How, Jeremiah? I can just picture him pinning these words on a, on a piece of papyrus or something. Well, I don't know what they write on back then. I guess it's papyrus or something. He's writing these words, and I can just picture someone looking over his shoulder and thinking... Jeremiah, really? Hope for what? Look what's happened to us. Everything we have has been destroyed. The few of us that are left are in chains in a foreign land. How could you possibly see anything of any hope? Jeremiah. But Jeremiah writes, When I remember the love of the Lord that shows in the worst times Through God's predictable, unconditional mercy, I have reason to hope. There's just a couple of things I want to show you this morning from this passage. Just a couple I want you to see this morning. The first one's in verse 22. God's love is loud because His mercy is always available. No matter what time in history you look at, you can look at any time in all of human history and you will find in that time that God has always been ready to show mercy to those who want it. Always. Now this, is, this time in history is so bad that Jeremiah's like, you know what, <laughs> we're done. There's, there's nothing left to hope in. Nothing except one thing. God's love for us 
is always there. So he will show us mercy. Now, when you read Lamentations, what you see is that he doesn't say what, you sh- he doesn't say what specifically he can be hoping for. Jeremiah doesn't even know what to pray. He doesn't know what to hope for in this moment. It's like, well, how, I can't even see how there could be a, a positive outcome in all this. But what he says is, I just know that God loves me and that God loves us. And in those, these moments, these are the moments that God uses to show mercy. He knew to be hopeful because he knew that God never fails. Now, the word that Jeremiah uses here in this passage is a word... I've actually talked about this in sermons past. It's a Hebrew word called kesed. Now, in English, we don't have a whole lot of variety when it comes to love. We, we say we love pizza. We say we love our spouse. We say we love the way that game turned out. We say we love God. All with the same word. And if we want to kind of accentuate one of them, we're like, well, I really love this or that, right? We don't have a whole lot in English to be able to use... to to kind of differentiate different types of love. But in the Hebrew, there is a specific type of uh, love that is mentioned here that isn't found in other parts of the Scripture. And that's this word kesed. This word kesed isn't just love. This word means faithful, loyal love. This word means tender, loving kindness. It's, It's a love that shows itself in mercy that is totally not deserved it's a love that's really expressed in times of hurt and pain when everything in you wants to say i never want to see you again yet we allow god to give us the capacity to do something that we can't do on our own something far beyond what is deserved the second thing i want to show you is this whether justice is pre- whether you think justice is present or not in any given situation, love always gets the last word with God because God is faithful to his promises. Love always gets the last word. Now, God, God is a God of justice. Love doesn't mean preventing discipline or preventing justice. That's not love. I mean, for those of you in the audience who have, are parents or who have been parents, you know that if you, impo- if you set a rule for your house and your child blows it off, it's not a loving response to just ignore it over and over again and allow them to continue to do whatever they want to do, right? That's, that's not love. That actually shows a lack of love and a lack of respect. That, that's not love. But God, who is perfect in love, Make sure, even in moments of justice, that love always gets the last word. That's where mercy comes in. God gives every one of us the ability to receive that love and to put away the guilt and the shame of our bad choices. How? By, put, by putting all of those things that we have done on the back of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. Listen. Everything that you have ever done to break God's heart. Everything that you will ever do to break God's heart. We could pay for and pay dearly for with eternal separation from God. But God in his love and mercy took all of those things and he threw them on Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. So that when we come to him and we ask for forgiveness, God says, Don't worry about it. The price has already been paid. All of it. 
the deepest, darkest things of your life that you feel like there's no place for forgiveness. Jesus says, got it. It's already paid for. That is mercy, friends. That is mercy. And that's what God gives us every single day. Verse 24 says, the Lord is our inheritance. Our future is secure because if our hope is in Christ, love always gets the last word if we accept it. Now, when someone hurts us or those that we love, oftentimes we think, you know what? They deserve what's coming to them, right? Everything in us wants them to be, to receive what's coming to them. I know, I mean, there, there are times in my life when I have been hurt by people and it's everything I can do to not want them to get what they deserve, right? Yesterday, I, was, had, I had some free time and I flipped on Netflix and I was watching this series that I hadn't found before. I think it was called Examination of Conscience or something, but it was kind of an expose on the, the horrible abuse that had happened at the hands of Catholic priests in the Catholic Church, in the school system of Spain for so many years. Kids being abused over and over and over again. And people being left in places of power over kids for decades. Some of them 30 or 40 years. Able to abuse generation after generation of kids. In horrible ways. And it was everything in me to not just... You know, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm a pastor. But I just, you know, for me, I see that kind of thing and I want God to have a special place in hell for people like that. You know what I mean? I just, I, it was, I just, what I, I was watching, I just wanted to reach into that screen, that flat screen and strangle some of these people. I just, I tell you, when kids are abused in that way, it is really, really hard for me to show mercy. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with that. Here on earth, we want a justice justice system that works, that prevents unsafe, unrepentant people from hurting others in the future. That's, That's important. I don't want to downplay that at all. So what do we do then with the prophet Micah when Micah says, love mercy? No, Micah doesn't say love the merciful. He says, love mercy. How do we do that? To love mercy is to not enjoy seeing those who hurt us suffer and those who hurt our kids. To love mercy is to dig really deep in ourselves with God's help and to be able to show it, knowing that those opportunities are rare and they're potentially life-changing to those who have hurt us. Whether we hope for mercy ourselves or we struggle to give it, Jeremiah's advice here, I think, is pretty helpful. Let me just read a few more verses as we wrap up here this morning. Verse 25, notice what Jeremiah says. He says, The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of His discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands... Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. 
Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. Whether hoping for mercy ourselves or, when, on the, or in those moments when we struggle to give it. I think Jeremiah's advice here is pretty powerful. I won't go into these in detail, but I'll just basically point out to you those three things that Jeremiah said here. He said, number one, in those moments that call for mercy, wait quietly before God in your pain. Number two, submit to God and humble yourself before him. And number three, forgive. Remembering that if it weren't for God's mercy, we would all be done for. Guys, there are very, very few ways in life that you will ever be able to express love in a greater way than in moments when mercy is required. Think about it. Very few. They don't come very often in life. And in those moments, our first reaction is certainly not mercy, right? It's certainly not love. I pray that when those opportunities present themselves before you, no matter Gosh, I hesitate to say this. No matter how painful. I pray that you will hear that phrase in your heart from God once again. God's love is the loudest in moments of mercy. You can go through life. You know what? You can go through life and everyone can look up to you, think that you are a great, loving person, but the real test is when mercy is required and everything in you wants to say, I never want to see your face again. And we show mercy. God doesn't qualify in Scripture when we can opt out of this idea. God never says, you know what, there are a few situations, and I'll list those when, you know, when this happens, you really don't have to show mercy. You can just let them get what they deserve. I, I, wish, I wish that were there personally. There's a, I have my list. I don't know about you. I have my list of things. I wish God would just say, we're going to make up some exceptions for these few. But he doesn't. God simply says, be merciful as I have shown mercy to you. Dang it. <laughs> in fact, in the future, whenever you think in your head or you hear the word deserve come out of your mouth, I pray that you will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking into your heart. And maybe it would say something like this. Yeah, I, I know what they deserve, but is this an opportunity for mercy? How can love get the last word in this disgusting situation? It doesn't justify what they did. It doesn't make it okay. But think about this. It opens the door for God to do something in that person's life that you or I will never be able to pull off. Those moments have the, moment, have the potential for the Holy Spirit to come in and radically change a person's life. Because when they know they don't deserve love and they receive it anyway, and they know it doesn't come from you, how can they not look to God? I'll give you one example as I close. 
A few years ago, I was meeting with a couple who were really struggling, really struggling. I don't blame them. I was sitting in a Starbucks downtown in Tucson when they opened up their story. They said, you know what, Dave? Uh, A few years ago, we found out that our next-door neighbor, who we kind of considered a second dad to our kids, had been molesting every one of our children for six straight years. Repeatedly. We would leave our kids with them, the mom said, over and over again, thinking they're in safe hands, not knowing what was happening to our kids. Six years. And this was a Christian man, a pillar in his church down in Tucson. And he was ruining every one of their kids' lives. When this finally came out and he was arrested... He was put on trial. <laughs> mm. you know, I'll share this with you. One, I wrote this down. This is one of the things that the mom said to me. She said, some days I can handle it better, but then something triggers a memory and I have to go through the forgiveness process all over again, Dave. Sometimes I wonder if I will ever be able to achieve total forgiveness. The trial came up. And the judge made a determination that they, when he was found guilty that he should get life in prison without parole. But for some odd reason, the judge pulled this couple aside and said, before I pronounce this judgment, I want to know what you think. Should I do this? Or do you have another thought in mind? Can you imagine being put in those shoes? Seeing that your kids have been abused for six years and then the judge says... I think I want to throw him in prison without a chance of parole. What do you think? I can tell you what I would think in that situation. They took some time to pray about it because they couldn't answer it. And then they came back to the judge and they said, would you not do that? Instead, would you give him one year in jail with a lifetime of probation so that he can never hurt another kid again. That was what they did. The mom said, life in prison at his age was probably a death sentence. Also, it allowed him to be delayed to entry into jail so he could get the treatment for prostate, prostate cancer that he needed and get the chemo and radiation that he wanted. I don't get that. I don't know about you. All I know is, I, I, I feel like Jeremiah, where it's like, God, I don't understand how this can happen. Everything in me wants to just pronounce justice and judgment on that person. But somehow, God, I know that you are loving and that you are merciful. Would you allow me to show that love and mercy to the people around me? Maybe there's a person in your life today who really needs mercy. Think about it. Is there someone in your life who has deeply hurt you, who has wounded you in some way, and everything in you wants to just never even have to speak to that person again? I get it. Maybe what mercy looks like to you is an offer of forgiveness or reconciliation, or maybe it's more than that. It's not something that you can do on your own. I promise you that. It's going to take God for that to happen. 
And it doesn't look the same in every situation. There's no formula to mercy. It's not like, well, if they do this, then you need to do that. As Jeremiah said, we fall down humbly before God in silence and we ask him to speak in those moments. But can you think of any better way to proclaim God's love to a person than that? Mercy is God's megaphone of love. It will be a sound they will never forget for the rest of their lives. And you and I, every now and then in our lives, have this window of opportunity to be able to show it. Will you take it seriously? And will you love mercy the way God does? Would you pray with me? Lord, I... I can sense in this room the tension that's here, even as I've been sharing this. I know that as I share this, there are some wounds that have been opened up that I wish I didn't even have to open up. There's some pain that some people are experiencing right now from the way they have been treated, their loved ones have been treated. And Lord, everything in us just wants to be done with those people. God, I I, I don't even know how to pray for us other than to ask that you would help us as we fall before your feet. We recognize how merciful you've been to us and we listen for your guidance and wisdom. Lord, help us in those moments to love mercy as hard as it is. Help us to go out of our way to show love that is undeserved. Not expecting anything in return. But knowing that it's what you want. And Lord, I just want to pray for each person in this room who is struggling with even the thought of showing mercy to the evil people in their lives. The hurtful people in their lives. God, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit even now. To would comfort that you would encourage, that you would strengthen, that you would embolden us to do the hard work that you call us to do so that your light can shine and pierce through the worst darkness, the ugliest spaces, and bring hope and healing. Lord, I say these things at this, while at the same time seeing what you did for me and every person in this room on the cross. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much that you literally hung and died a horrible, brutal death. And you only did it to show us love and mercy. I don't get that, God. But I am really grateful. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for those places where we have hurt you and we have hurt others. We ask that your love and your mercy would shine through those darkest places in our own lives and help us to see the hope that only comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us way more than we will ever deserve. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name. Yeah.